How many of you ever been called a crybaby before? <laughs> when and where I grew up, those were fighting words. How many of you have called someone a crybaby? Now, the appropriate use of that word wasn't to ridicule someone who was truly hurt or going through tragic circumstances. No, we didn't do that. If someone was truly hurt, they had a reason to cry. But we used the terminology to ridicule someone who was always whining and complaining because they didn't get their way all the time. Because someone told them no. They would quit or they wouldn't play no more. They'd whine and complain, even cry to pressure you to give in, and then you would give in, and you'd say, okay, here, you big crybaby. Because if you didn't, why, they'd have themselves a little temper tantrum. Mama would tell you you can't go outside and play. Your big brother tells you you're not going with him. You're too little. Or your sister says you can't come in her room no more. Let those things happen, and the crying begins, and the kicking and the screaming starts to be activated, trying to cause enough stuff to get your way. Have you ever done it? I'll bet there's some mom and dads who will say that you have. I bet there's some brothers or sisters who will testify gladly that you have if I went around the room and asked. But the good news is you stop all that stuff by the time you're seven years of age. Or do we? I mean, now that we're all grown up, and even more especially if we're Christians, you know when you get saved, it's so much easier to submit to no, isn't it? Is it? Let's test the theory. Let's be mythbusters tonight. How many know that sometimes God says no? Growing up, have you ever asked your earthly father for something? He says no. For me, about 15,000 times, it seemed like it's always no, no, no. Honestly, now, how did you react about it? Have you ever asked your heavenly father for something and he says no? How do you or how are you reacting about it? When he does say no, what do you do or what are you doing? What should you do when God says no? Do you believe he's just being mean to you? Like you thought your dad was doing when he said no? Only for you to find out later when you became a dad, he was right to tell you no that he wasn't just trying to be mean to you. He was either correcting you or protecting you or preventing you or molding you or instilling in you things that were going to make you a better person, to make you a stronger person. And you realize as a parent yourself now that he did it for your good. So if our earthly fathers did it for our good, how much more would our heavenly father? Dad might have raised you, but God created you. Jesus knew what it was like to be told by his heavenly father no. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his father, if there be any other way for this cup to pass somebody, please do it. But his father said, no, son, you're going to do this. And Christ did. He obeyed his father. This was not going to be an easy task. He knew what was ahead for him. He knew the things he was going to be asked to suffer. His flesh was saying no. His spirit was saying yes. And he finally realized that when God said no, he was going to have to trust his father for two reasons. One, his father told him he could do it. And two, he told him he needed to do it. And thank God he did it. Because without the shedding of blood, there'd be no remission for sin. And none of us would have ever been redeemed. Christ had learned obedience to his sufferings. 
The Apostle Paul, we found in this scripture we just read, suffered an affliction that bothered him to the point he asked God three times to take it away, and God said plainly, no. Is there something in your life that you have asked God to take away? Something you don't want to go through or something you don't want to face or something you didn't want to bear? You prayed and you prayed, even begged God to not make you go through it, but it's still there. You still had to. It hasn't changed yet. It hasn't been healed yet. hasn't come back yet. You haven't overcome it yet. And it's been going on for so long. You believe God has said, no, it's not stopping. It's not going away. It's inevitable. You're going to have to face it and go through it. You don't want to have to go through the sufferings. It's going to cause you. You know this thing happens, the pain to bring to your life. And you can't rationalize the benefits of you having to suffer for such a thing. What are you doing versus what you should be doing? When you face these challenges, we, can, we can't understand why God would allow it. Let's talk about it. Somehow, we got to grow up and become mature in our faith. Whether or not you know it or like it, God will allow adversity to show up in our lives to cause us to grow, to balance our lives. He exalts the humble and he humbles the exalted. Many times when adversity comes, we're like crybabies who don't get their way in what they want. What am I saying? Let trouble come and we immediately begin to demand that we want it to go away right now. We want out of it now. We don't want to go through anything. There's no good time for trouble to come. You can start trouble and sometimes trouble just shows up. You pray and you ask God to remove it like he has so many times when he sees the suffering is not necessary to your life, he does. But this time God says, no, you're not getting out of this. It's necessary for you to go through this. It will cause you to grow in strength and tenacity and faith. Can I tell you everything that God allows to happen in our lives is for a purpose? Yet when he does this, too often we start kicking and fighting that leads to doubting and pouting and never allow it to mature us or to perfect us. When Jesus surrendered to God's will, his own in the Garden of Gethsemane, it wasn't easy. It was very painful. He told God to be in the way, let this cup pass over me. He prayed three times and God said no. He came to surrender by faith. He believed that his obedience to God's will would do a far greater work in his life. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer or prayers and what you prayed for didn't happen? You didn't get the new job. You didn't get the healing. When it didn't happen, wouldn't it be safe to say God said no? But what do you do when God says no? It's easy to know what to do when he says yes. We celebrate. But we've been taught very little about what to do, how to react when you don't get what you want. And I've come to tell some folks, just because God didn't say yes to you, what you wanted, you don't have to and shouldn't lose your faith. You don't have to have a nervous breakdown, a pity party, you don't have to throw in the towel. You don't have to walk away from God because you didn't get the job, because you didn't get the house, because you didn't get the car that you asked God for. We don't need faith when everything's going great and falls into place. We need faith to sustain us when all hell's breaking loose in your home or your marriage or your workplace. It's when you look at the Bible in one hand and then you look at life in your other and you compare your circumstances to his word. And you say, Lord, I see what you say, but look what I'm going through. Nothing I'm going through seems to be lining up with your word. Lord, you say I'm blessed going in and out. 
but I'm flat broke. I don't get it. And this is where many people are at at times in their lives. You see, you don't need no one to tell you how to act when you get healed. You need someone to tell you how to act when you don't get healed. How to shout when you don't get the new job. When you don't get the new house. When you don't get your wife back. I got sense enough to know how to be happy when everything is all right. But someone tell me how to be happy when all hell's breaking loose. And it's going from bad to worst. Tell me how to keep my head up and keep trusting God when he says no. This is something we all need to know. Because we all have had our share of troubles. Or he or she may not look like they've been through nothing. But don't let rich folks fool you. They hurt too. They have problems too. Don't let preachers and teachers fool you. They have troubles too. Their lives are kind of like a house. It's amazing how much different a house can look on the inside versus how it looks on the outside from the driveway. It can reflect two different things. I've seen them look good on the outside, but I went inside and it was a wreck on the inside. <laughs> Got that? <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> kind of like makeup. Some don't wear none. Some pack it on so thick if they smile, their face is going to crack. Some folks just work very hard to cover things up. And life has a way of bringing balance to our lives. Every victor can become a victim, and every victim can become a victor. I want to talk to some blessed people today in this room who've been blessed in some area of your life, and before you could get overjoyed about it, it's like somebody punched you in the gut. I'm talking about just got a new car. You know, you drive it to the store, and you come out, and someone dumb backed into it. You just got that new job, come home and find out your husband's been cheating on you. Just got a good report from the doctor, and two days later, your mother passes away. Just when you just got blessed, you just got punched. What I'm talking about is the same thing that happened to the Apostle Paul. Paul was thriving in his ministry, only for an affliction to show up in Paul's life that he felt was detrimental to his ability to carry out his ministry. He called it a thorn in his flesh. God allowed this infirmity to come upon Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul testifies this. To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Another King James says, buffet me. Paul said, to keep me humbled and to not get all puffed up because of the amazing thing God was doing through my life. So people would not think too highly of me. God allowed Satan to buffet me. That word buffet in the Greek means to punch with strong punches. So in other words, to beat up my flesh, to cause my body suffering. And many of us are in that same place. I may know it may not be, in a, be a seen area of your life. It may not be visible in some cases or recognizable by others. But I know that somewhere in your life, if you're gifted and you're talented and you're blessed and you're highly favored, you have been buffeted. I know it. You're an anointed teacher. You've been buffeted. You're a singer. You're mom of the year. You're a Christian counselor. You've been buffeted, punched in the stomach because you're doing great exploits for God. You've been through some things to do great things. That's when you're doing good. The salts of the haters is so overwhelmingly in your life. 
Here you are making a great sacrifice. You're working hard. You're practicing hard. You're studying hard so God can use you and people want to hate on you. They don't even got a clue of the price that you paid for God to use you. I'm preaching now. It's hard to understand how they can attack you. Don't they see behind the scene that in some area of your life you're being punched, buffeted in the flesh? You know, it's been a big debate what Paul's thorn was. Debated for hundreds of years. Everybody thinks they got it right. Well, I too think I got it right for you. You want to know what it is? I'm going to solve the mystery that no one has the answer to. They're all speculating. I think God didn't tell us for a reason. I think God left it open for the reason of when you relate Paul's life to yours, you can fill in the blank because every man has a thorn and it's different. We've all been through things that God has allowed to happen, that buffets us, that punches us in the gut, makes us pray, groan in the middle of the night and cry out to God, I need you. I can't take this. It's too much to bear. I'm so miserable. It hurts so bad. Things that regardless of what I've accomplished punched me in the gut and brought me to a place of humility. We don't know for sure what the thorn was, but what we do know is how he felt about it. And we know how he dealt with it. He travailed and he prayed to God about it, pleading with him to take it away. It was both painful privately and publicly for him. Some believed it to be epilepsy. Imagine how humiliating that would be. You're trying to preach and you have a seizure. Paul was an intellectual man. Other believes it had to do with his eyes. Whatever it was, it was humiliating and overwhelming to Paul. Paul was intellectual, but buffeted, anointed, but buffeted. You're not going to go through this world without having to use those tear ducts that God gave you at some point. I don't care how intellectual or how beautiful or anointed you are. You can have more degrees than a thermometer, but you're not going to be exempt from trouble. At some point, you will be left lying in the bedroom floor broken, crying, I don't want to do it. I can't take it. Please, Lord, please. You're going to experience something at some point that will humiliate you, take the wind out of yourselves, will be made public, will bring grief and shame even to you. Paul prayed about it three times. Certainly, this thing was overwhelming him. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Well, you're like, I can't take it no more. I can't do this no more. What's rocking your world? What's getting on your last nerve? You've prayed and you prayed about it. It's not moving. It's not going away. It's not changing. I can only imagine Paul pleading with God like many of us do. God, I'm out here serving you. I'm being faithful. I went everywhere you said to go. I said everything you told me to say. I've established churches all over the countryside. Lord, I have preached Christ crucified and resurrected. Even when I was locked up in jail, I laid hands on the sick, even a dead man, and he came back to life. I'm asking you for this one favor. I've ever asked you for too much, Lord. I've never complained about being shipwrecked or beaten or thrown in prison. Surely you can do this one thing for me. I can't take it anymore. Haven't you done that? Haven't you pled your case and reminded God who you are and what you've done? Now, this is not just someone praying for a parking space or a good day at work today. This is praying about what is overwhelming my soul. This was pleading with God. I wouldn't ask you if I, couldn't, if I could bear it. I've taken everything I can take. I put up with everything. I can't put up with this thing that's got to go. This was an Oscar-winning plea by Paul. Paul prayed three times, 
Why would he? He didn't have to pray three times to raise a dead man who'd fallen out of a window. How is it that it seems like prayer works so good when you're praying for someone else? And why are we so wise with other people's dilemmas, but so foolish sometimes with our own dilemmas? That's a word right there. You can listen to someone's problems and you can quickly say, i tell you what I'd do. But you have a problem, you have no idea what to do. You can counsel somebody else, but you can't counsel yourself. You can have an answer for everyone else, but you can't find an answer for yourself. You got a word for everyone else, but you can't find a word for yourself. When it's you, it's like you can't even quote a scripture. Your mind's blank. But you can practically preach a sermon to other people's problems. How could Paul have the power and the courage to turn cities upside down for Christ, but not handle his own problem? He prayed three times for God to remove this thing. Take it away from me. Remove this curse from me. So I can serve you like I need to, Lord. There it is. That's us right there. Sometimes we go from praying to bargaining. Lord, I could do so much more if I didn't have this issue. I'd be so much better for you if if I was better for me. God, it seems like you would want to so I wouldn't have this limitation. Somebody in this room knows what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to be overwhelmed by circumstances in your life, and because of them, you feel you can't do what God has called you to do. If you just take this thing away that's punching you, buffeting you, you could do so much more for God. God, I could be a better mom. I could be a better dad. I could be a better husband, a better wife, a better teacher, a better preacher. Paul asked God, not once but three times, and God answered him saying, no, I'm not taking it away. Sometimes God says no. And when he says no, he means no. And it's not there to destroy you or limit you. It's there to balance you. It's either there perhaps to humble you, protect you, correct you, mold you, cause you to grow. He tells Paul, no, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient. In other words, I've given you everything you need to do what I've called you to do, even when you're buffeted. Yes, Paul had this thorn in his side. But look at what all Paul did, even with the thorn in his side. And so many of some, sometimes too, so too often, we quit. We give up. We back down. We lose our faith when trouble shows up. When God says, yes, 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 it's all good. But the first time he says, no, we're done. I'm going to talk about Joe Carpenter for just a moment. Yeah, yeah. Joe. Joe's a man of God. Joe's a preacher. Joe has a calling on his life. Joe lost his leg because of diabetes. You know what about Joe? He's never quit. He's never backed down. He's never lost his faith. I knew Joe before when he had his leg, and I know Joe since he lost his leg. Nothing, not one thing changed in his faith. He believes that God's grace is sufficient. He's continued on. He didn't give up. He didn't throw in the towel. Look what Joe's done. Because Joe looks at his life and says, you know what? I prayed. Apparently, God said no. 
But that's okay, though. I'm still going to preach the gospel. I'm still going to love people, and I'm still going to love God, and I'm still going to talk about him, and I'm still going to preach on healing because I know God is able. Paul had this thorn, but he didn't ever stop him. The devil can't stop you. Don't you quit because it's not easy. That's the first thing many of us do. We get to, we get to serving God, and sure enough, the enemy comes by to buffet us, and when he does and God doesn't remove it, we quit. I can't teach no more. I can't sing no more. I can't preach no more. I can't be a good husband no more. I've got this thorn in my side. If I don't get it out, I quit. Quit ministry, quit the church, even quit God. So what do we do when God says no? When your will is overruled by God? When God says no, there's a reason for it. He allows Satan to buffet Paul. He tells Paul why. He won't remove it because my grace is sufficient. I know you think your plan is sufficient, he said, but my grace is sufficient. And God was telling Paul, Paul, before I said no, I considered the power of my grace in regards to your problems. And by that, I concluded what my answer would be to your request. And I decided to tell you no because my grace is sufficient. I heard your prayers. In other words, I measured your troubles to my grace. Hallelujah, there it is. I measured your troubles to my grace. I measured them out and wouldn't have allowed you to be attacked on this level if I hadn't given you the grace to endure it. Here's what he's telling us. The reason we can open the doors of this church with confidence week after week, believing this is a safe place to let you enter into, is because before this building was ever built, the foundation was specced to support the weight of this structure that was going to be placed on top of it. The preparation for the weight was done before the weight was ever applied. Oh, somebody's got to get this. So it is with God. God considered the weight load that he was going to allow to be placed on your life before it ever came. The preparation for the weight was done before the weight was placed on your life so you could be able to handle the weight when it came. See, God knows you. He knows your load limit. He said he'd never put more on you than you're able to bear. It is his grace that works at the structure, works as a structure that's able to support the weight that's placed upon your life. That's good right there. Unless the Lord builds a house, those that labor, labor in vain. I know you can feel you can't handle it. It's heavy. You feel like you can't take it much longer. Feel like you're about to break down. Maybe lose your mind. Feel like driving off a cliff. Wish you wouldn't wake up tomorrow. If you have to carry this thing another day, God take it away. But God says, no, I'm not going to yet. Then what do I do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Then what am I to do? Have patience and let patience do its perfect work. Because this light affliction was just for a moment. This thing you're going through is going to do a far greater work in you. It's going to work a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory in your life. I'm taking you from glory to glory, and the bridge in between is called affliction. And my grace is sufficient enough to get you across the bridge if you have the desire to go to the other side. If you don't quit, if you don't back down or refuse to go. I may not move the mountain, but my grace will give you the strength to climb it and go over it. My grace is sufficient. Tell someone you got grace for what you're going through. You are saved by grace through Christ and Jesus Christ. And if you can be saved by grace, then you can surely be sustained by it. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you can do all things. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Greater is he in me than he that's in the world. Say with me, I got grace. I want you to help me here. It hurts, but 
I'm in trouble. I may be crying. I may be grieving. I got grace for the life I lead, for the things I have to confront, for the people I have to deal with, problems I have to overcome in my life, for the pain I have to endure daily. Don't let my tears fool you. I'm not a crybaby. I'm not be crying because I didn't get my way. I'm be crying because of the pain I'm going through today. But by the time I get done crying, I'll be coming out swinging. I'm going to be stronger than I've ever been. I'm going to be happier than I've ever been. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is going to come in the morning. Why? Because His grace is sufficient. Can somebody testify to that? If I never would have went through what I went through, I never would have understood the sufficiency of God's grace. But now that I've been through the pain, I can experience the gain. Now that I've endured the trial, crawled through that season of my life, I know that if he brought me through that, he can bring me through this. And you can testify that he's done measuring my troubles with his grace before the trouble ever came. And if he says no, I know that his grace will be sufficient, strong enough to keep me through it, strong enough to keep me on doing it. I've got grace. Somebody needs to get excited about grace. Come on, preach this with me. I may not have money, but I may not have a husband, but I may not have friends, but I may not. I may have a sick child, but I may have affliction, but I may have grief. A perfect scripture to appropriate, I feel, when God says no. For when all hell's breaking through in your life, it's found in Deuteronomy 33 and 25. It's a scripture you need to understand and apply to your life. You got to have a word to fight this stuff. Because the word is sharper than a two-edged sword. The word is my weapon of choice when I'm battling. Now, you may choose fist fighting and cussing and fussing. But by the way, how's that working out for you? We got people running all over trying to get a word. Quit all that running. Go to the bookstore and buy yourself a Bible. Best weapon you could ever own. You can own a house full of guns, but they are of no effect in a spiritual battle. If we had as many Bibles in the homes as we do guns, we could do a better job protecting our homes. Guns are great to have. When a man breaks into my home in the middle of the night, I want to have my gun ready and to defend my family. But when the devil breaks into my home, I want to have a word ready to speak to him to defend my family. Come on, somebody. That's how Jesus fought the devil in the desert. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that preceded out of the mouth of God. He defeated Satan with the word, not a gun. Guns are great for a natural fight, but give me a Bible for a spiritual fight. So if you really want to be ready for every battle, lay your gun on your Bible by your bed. Have them both ready. <laughs> My, how things are changing. We got more people carrying guns into the church than Bibles. <laughs> We're more afraid of someone walking in here shooting us than we are of the devil coming in here and killing us. No wonder we aren't winning spiritual battles. Let's move on. I use this word when the devil has knocked the wind out of my sails. Deuteronomy 33, 25. As the days are, so shall thy strength be. That means to you and me, the tougher the day I face, the more strength God gives me. Come on. You ain't, I don't think anybody's getting this yet. You see, you don't use this on a good day. You use this on a bad day. 
It don't mean as much when everything is going good. It don't take much strength to go through a good day. You have to save this and use this scripture for a bad day when all hell's breaking loose in your life. God said, as many as my days are, so shall my strength be. That's why when this thing you're going through, which began six months ago, and you cried for God to take it away because you can't bear it, you said on many cases, if you have to go through another thing, you're going to lose your mind. But that's why you're still here six months later, and you're not quite through all of it yet, but you're still alive. It didn't kill you like you thought it would. You didn't lose your mind like you said you would. It didn't cost you your job like you thought it would. Why? Because he's given you the strength you needed every single day to get you through every day, no matter how hard it's gotten for you. Come on. Matter of fact, here's your newsflash. You haven't even been walking in your own strength. Matter of fact, there were days he had to carry you. He had to carry your burdens. He said, give me that. I'll carry it for you. I'll never put more on you than you can bear. If it's got to be too much, I'll carry. I'm the burden bearer. If it's too heavy, I told you in my word to cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy burden, and I will give you rest because my grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. As the days are, so shall thy strength be. In other words, you got to get this. In other words, listen to this. I measured your day, God says, before you began it. When your sleepy head was snoring and dreaming about Disney, I released to you the strength you need to get up to get through this day. And I'm confident, God says, I've given you enough grace to get you through whatever you face today. And if tomorrow ever comes, I got that covered too. God's done measured your tomorrow before it ever comes. And he's done dispensed the grace you'll need to get you through it. Unlike a doctor, when you got an affliction, you go to him, he dispenses what you need. But God, the great physician dispenses his grace before you ever get the affliction. The doctor counters it after it happens. God counters it before it even happens. How? His grace is sufficient. The devil is a liar. If God be for you, who can be against you? Therefore, Paul said, I glory in my tribulation because I realize my tribulation is an indication of the grace I possess to overcome my situation. Oh, I'm going to repeat that. I like that. Because I realize my tribulation is an indication of the grace that I possess to overcome my situation. Paul came to the surrendering conclusion. He wouldn't let me go through what I'm going through if he hadn't qualified me to be able to handle it. So I glory in his tribulation. Paul's now become overjoyed. Wow, how did Paul go from being overwhelmed with his affliction to praying about it and overruled, told no, to end up overjoyed by it? It's easy to become overjoyed when you're not overruled. When you get your way, Paul believed the seasoned saint, not the crybabies who don't get their way, he believed the seasoned saints know how to be overjoyed in tribulation. He believes they know how to count it all joy when they fall into diverse temptations. You may be saying, well, how can I be happy at this? As bad as this is, as embarrassing as this is, as painful and personal and traumatic as this is, because God trusted you with this trouble, because you passed enough tests so you could handle this now. 
All that little stuff that you've been through all these years, one thing after another, prepared you for this big trial in your life now. All those other things were just part of the training you went through to prepare you to handle the main event. It built your faith. It caused you to believe. If he can get me through that, he can get me through this. Your trials have increased. Your load limit has increased. And the weight has increased. Your strength has increased. You may have more trouble, but you have more strength. Only a weightlifter increases his strength. It's the reason he does is to lift more weight. The more weight he lifts, the stronger he becomes. And God wants us to become stronger and stronger. But why? Because he gets it. Glory for your faith. Greater the battle, bigger the victory. Bottom line is you have to trust God, that he's for you and that he's not against you, that he knows what's best for you. That because he said no doesn't mean he's left you for dead or defeat. Actually, he says he's positioned you for victory. He simply wants to use this trial in your life as an opportunity to show himself strong on your behalf and to strengthen your life. You have to learn to trust God when he says no, when you don't get the house, when you didn't get the new job, when the child don't come home, when the healing doesn't come. You have to trust God that the tougher the day, the greater the grace he gives you. We have to believe, church, that his grace is sufficient. When you don't know how you're going to make it, how you're going to get through it, how you're going to get over her, how you're going to pay it, how you're going to say it. Even David, at one low point of his life, questioned God as to why he was ever born. But David, as Paul did, and Job did, and as Daniel did, and as Mary, Charlie, Steve, Betty, Bob, and here did, learned God's grace is sufficient. That their, that their day was so their strength would be going to be as though their day was. Now, when you're going through tough times, you can get some self-help books at the store, bookstore, but sometimes you can't help yourself. You can listen to motivationalists to try to find motivation, but sometimes you just can't be motivated when you're needing a miracle. You can socialize to try to feel better. You can go to a club. You can go on a cruise, but still can't get through it. Only God is your very present help in times of trouble. Your church is for more than socializing and motivating. It's for you to be able to come in here and receive so much more here than anywhere else. It's a place to receive food for your soul, strength for your fight, seed for the sower, bread for the eater. It's a place where you can come in and be loved, encouraged by the word of God that will give you strength when you've been buffeted. There's a lot of people going through a lot of things. Perhaps you prayed and you prayed for God to take it away. He hasn't of yet, and you're overwhelmed by it. I've come to declare to you, God says, my grace is sufficient. As your days are, so shall your strength be. Today, God wants to strengthen some people. And I'm going to ask all of you to do something. It's really hard sometimes to get church people to do. I'll tell you why. Sometimes it's hard to get church people to be honest. Because church folks feel they have an obligation to have it all together all the time. We've been misguided to believe we have a responsibility to people 
of no troubles. It's in this room. It may not look like it, but it's here in the lives of many of us. I know simply for the fact of what I preached earlier, there's a lot, a lot of anointed people in this room that God uses mightily. And I know if Paul was buffeted, you have been too. You were doing great things for God, but you've been punched in the gut, buffeted by Satan. And for some, you've reacted wrong. Instead of counting it all glory like Paul, you've withdrawn. Some people have even quit. Or you're not in ministry anymore. You're trying to teach, but your home's a wreck. You're trying to be in ministry, but marriage started falling apart. Sadly, some have even quit the faith because you didn't believe that his grace was sufficient. You didn't believe that he would measure your day before it ever began, before you even woke up this morning and give you the strength to still fulfill your call today. Paul had a thorn, but he finished the race and therefore was laid up for him a crown of righteousness. You may not look like you got troubles. Some of us have some great disguises. Nobody has even recognized you of all people have, of ever being buffeted. You? In return, you make others feel like they're the only one who does have trouble. Let me be the first to remove the mask. I've got troubles. I have been buffeted on many occasions, but I'm not quitting. I'm trusting God's grace is sufficient. I've never been exempt from troubles. I've been through a lot. I'm sure there's more on the horizon. But I declare, as my days shall be, so shall my strength be. God's measuring my day and releasing to me every day the strength I need to make it through. I think we think it makes God look bad if we confess we got troubles. You're not having troubles because you're sinful, but because you're faithful. Would you stand with me? So tonight I want to make an altar call. You know what that means? <laughs> call you to an altar. I want to pray with people who will be honest and just admit I got a thorn. Who will admit with what I'm going through, the place I find myself in, that I just need God to strengthen me for another day. You secretly been wondering, where is God? You've been pleading privately. God, don't you hear me crying? God, don't you know I'm tired? God, don't you know I'm hurting? Don't you know I'm struggling, that I'm sinking? I want to assure you he heard you the first time. His word tells us he knows before we even pray what we have need of. So how do you find the strength to get out of bed again tomorrow? when it still hurts? How do you find the strength to keep fighting when you're so tired? How do we find the strength to go forward when the past hurts so bad? How do we have the strength to wipe away the tears from your eyes when it seems no one is there to do it? You find it through God's grace. By finding you an altar, instead of pleading for it to pass, asking for the strength to go through it. Saying what the three Hebrew boys said, our God will deliver us, and even if he don't, we'll still not bow down. God didn't take away the furnace, but he was within the furnace with them. God had said, no, I'm not delivering them before they face the fire. 
Because the fire is going to teach them something about me they never knew. Because it's going to build their faith and cause them to grow. You see, if God allows you to go through the fire, he will keep you in the fire. And by them going through the fire and God not taking away the fire away, their faith in God, the experience they went through, led a whole nation to know who God was. And God will never allow the enemy to send anything into your life that's stronger than his power. We'll say that one again. God will never allow the enemy to send anything into your life that's stronger than his power. Because God measures your trouble with his grace, and he releases to you the strength you need to get through every day. So tonight I ask you, would you come and let God measure you and let God strengthen you, this body? Would you show others tonight by coming, I have troubles too? That just because you're anointed, you're not exempt from being buffeted? God wants to measure your troubles and release you the strength you need to get through and get past and to continue with what God's called you to do. As you begin to play and sing, I open this altar. Would you come tonight and say, God, I just want you to strengthen me. I'm real. I bleed just like the next guy. I have troubles in my life like the next one. I just need you to strengthen me. I need you to measure me, God. And give me the strength to go through what I'm facing, what I've been through, what I'm going to go through. See, some of you ain't gone through nothing yet, but you know what? That's why you need His grace today. So by the time it gets here through the thing you're going to go through, you'll have the grace and the strength to get through what you're going through. I'd like to have some prayer warriors, too, to come and get behind each and every one of these that's at the altars and begin to pray with them. Would you come, Susan, Rhonda, Zach?